Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 389 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, and I'm joined on this evening, as I most of the time am, by Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. How are you? What's going on, Brad? We are getting closer and closer to real baseball, about three and a half weeks as of recording this from opening day. So we are getting closer. It's nice to see guys out there uh, on the field down in Florida. And before we know it, opening day will be here and no shortage of things to talk about as we get closer to opening day. That is certainly the case. And if you've been a long-time listener to the podcast over several years, we generally do some preview specific episodes. Uh, part of that is knowing that not everyone, I know this is shocking to everyone out there, but not everyone listens to every podcast. So I know there are fans that might turn off a little bit in the offseason, and I do understand that. But as we wrap up and sort of you know get things closer to the start of the season, we're going to do some of our more general preview stuff. We'll probably be a little bit repetitive at, on some of the stuff that we talked about in the past, but it's a good time to kind of get a refresh on all of it. And today's major topic is going to be the bullpen and a look ahead to what's going to be a pretty good unit this year for the Braves. But there is a little bit of news at the top of the show as well. And I have to start here. Um, I'm not going to start with the Braves giving up eight runs in the ninth inning today to lose on this Sunday in spring training because that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. But I do want to open up with a comparison. And that, Scott, is the fact that Matt Olson is doing his best Babe Ruth impression so far in March. Does that actually matter? Who's to say? But Matt, Matt Olson currently has an OPS of over 2,100 in spring training. That seems, that seems pretty good. Yet I, I'm not kidding about that. OPS over 2,100, uh, three home runs, et cetera. Uh, again, I, I, am I a Parkview High School alum that just wants to talk about this? Maybe. But Matt Olson looks like Matt Olson, which is nice to see. We saw firsthand last year, you know, as, as Matt was new to the team and we really didn't know too much about him directly, but we saw stretches where he was just mashing. And I think everybody liked the pairing, that left field power bat at Truist, especially. And while he had some great stretches, he also had some very notable down downward trends as well. But I don't care if it's spring training or the minor leagues or the World Series. You put up a 2100 OPS at any point uh, in a calendar year. It's pretty damn impressive. And, you know, we talked as we wrapped up the season a couple of months ago. I think Matt Olson handled last year about as well as you possibly could. He was the uh, epitome of a professional, despite all of the Freddie Freeman drama. Never heard a bad word from Matt. Uh, he, he's a damn good baseball player. And if you're telling me that he, you know, last year he was a perfectly fine first baseman. But if you're telling me he's about to have a really, really nice 2023 campaign, uh, I certainly think it's possible. And we know just when he's going right, there are a few hitters on the planet who are as good as he is. Yeah, that's obviously I'm a little bit tongue in cheek about him being Babe Ruth so far. But uh, I think we do have high expectations for Olsen this year as a bounce back, you know, more comfortable year two. And, you know, the upside is super high. And he's obviously flashing a little bit of that as well. He's not he's not alone. A lot of guys are having good starts to the season, but he's in his own stratosphere at this moment in time. And hopefully that continues over the long haul. Uh, elsewhere on the news front, there was a lot of talk, as there seems to be always, about Marcelo Zuna in the last few days. Uh, Bryce Dicker said on Thursday, quote, Marcel is going to be on our team, end quote. He did say that how much he plays is, quote, going to be determined by how well he does, end quote. And uh, many have noticed this, but he's been traveling with like minor league only lineups, basically, and road games, like right in the bus, like he's a like he's a kid out there. Um, I wonder what you make of that, because it seems like, you know, that's maybe targeted, but he also did play today with all the all the key guys. So it's not like he's only doing that, but uh, everyone has noticed that. And it's definitely strange at the, at the very least, I would say. Yeah. 
No, it's not coincidence that all of the regular lineup guys were playing at home. And maybe if listeners don't know, generally the veterans do not travel very much. Every now and then you might see someone like Matt Olson or Austin Riley go on a a shorter road trip. But for the most part, your regular starters are going to play the home games. And then, as you noted, the the double and triple A guys who are in camp are the ones who are going to make the hour to two or three hour bus rides, uh, depending on that road game. So the fact that Marcel traveled for the first, I believe, three road games when nobody else of the regulars were in the lineup it felt like the Braves were sending a message. And of course, they would probably never come out and say that it was, oh, it was just a coincidence. We want to get him some reps. There's ways to find uh, at-bats for Marcel at home. I'm not sure if it's something that's going to happen for the entire spring, but it was one of those things. As we know, Marcel has been a headache for the better part of two years now. And for the Braves to send that message, even if it wasn't Uh, Of course, again, they're not going to publicly say it, but the players pay attention to these things. And I'm sure Marcel, being a veteran of 10 plus years, probably doesn't love riding the bus with all the kids and traveling. But nonetheless, it was interesting. And I'm not sure if they'll do it the the rest of the way or not, but certainly raise some eyebrows around the team. Yeah, and we've talked about him ad nauseum and. You know, it's it's a make or break season in some ways. I think obviously the money is the big driving factor of why he's even still on the team right now. Um, I think he's going to play, and we'll we'll touch on that more often when we talk about the lineup later on in March. Um, if he doesn't perform well, as he has in the last two years, he'll probably play less and less, and maybe be gone at some point in time. But um, you know, Snick just saying he's going to be on the team is uh, kind of puts that to bed for now. And uh, him traveling is certainly interesting, and a little bit of pressure certainly put on him from the team side. Um, other than that, the lineup is kind of in place. You know, Ozzy had, it was revealed this week that Ozzy had an arthroscopic surgery on his shoulder back in October. He was DH only early on. It seems to be not restricted at all anymore at this point. So that's, that's a good sign moving forward. Um, other than that, I kind of got nothing on the lineup. I mean, everything else is kind of pitching related. There was the other big development was the second round pick for this year. Blake, Blake Burkhalter is having Tommy John surgery. He was already going to the minor league camp, so it's more sort of an off-the-rail thing. But obviously, being the second-round pick from this year, uh, it kind of got a little bit more attention than you might have thought for a typical, um, you know, prospect prospect pitcher. Um, I have a note here from from our guy Ivan at Battery Power, who is fantastic behind the scenes, and he told me this in, in Slack, and I, ha- I just definitely had to pass this along. And he he said he did, he did the research on this. Literally a third, yes, a third, like as in thirty-three percent of the entire league of guys who pitch in Major League Baseball games in twenty twenty-three have already had at least one Tommy John surgery. Again, a third of the league has had Tommy John of the pitchers that are pitching now. So there's some stigma there. Obviously, you're out for a year, probably maybe a year a year, a year plus with Tommy John, but it's kind of just normal now. As crazy as that is, like that stat just feels like it's made up and it's not. Like it's it really is not that big of a deal anymore. And obviously that's easier to say on the outside, I'm sure for him. It's going to be a long, hard road. These guys have a lot to do, a lot to do to like rehab and get stronger and bounce back from it. But where science is and where these teams are medically, it's not that much of a big deal. It's just kind of a year off and now you're back and hopefully he's pitching by the middle 24. It's definitely a bummer. I know our prospect guys really like Burke Halter. Uh, to me, it sounded like um, maybe a similarities to when they took AJ Minter pretty high in the draft. I think that was 2015. You know, these college arms who, of course, are very experienced and pitch at the highest of college levels. You hope they're able to move quickly through the system. Uh, So it is a bummer for sure. It's going to be, as you noted, really 
I think it's about a year at minimum, but really I think a lot of guys who have dealt with Tommy John have said it's about 18 months for them to really feel like they're all the way back. And yeah, that note about a third of the pitchers in the major (laughs) leagues is insane. And you noted the advances medically that, that doctors have made, right? It's Tommy John for pitchers. It back in the day, if you had Tommy John as a pitcher, your career was, was very much in doubt. You know, it's kind of like ACL injuries in the NFL. Now it used to be a death sentence if you were a skill guy and now you miss a year and sometimes they come back better than ever. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a bummer. I hope Burke Halter is able to to make all the way back because again, he has clear talent and was really, really successful at Auburn, but nonetheless, at any time, especially a recent pick like that has to, has to have surgery. It's, it's um, you know, you wish him all the best. For sure. And we'll have more on that as he gets uh, closer, hopefully not too long from now. Um, other than that, obviously, lots of eyes on the fifth starter battle, which is ongoing. It is still quite early. Um, there's been some up and down performances. Bryce Elder was bad in his first start, better in his second. Ian Anderson was really bad on Tuesday, uh, also was better today as he threw, I think, you know, two and two and a third innings of quality baseball. Colby Aller looks pretty good. Um, again, it's it's super early. And then there's Mike Soroka, where there was not a great update. He did have a kind of a weird, uh, they're calling it a short box bullpen session on Saturday. But uh, you know, it's kind of still up in the air. I think that it's probably reasonable to think that Soroka is um, lagging behind, having not really pitched to this point in time. But what are your observations early on about that uh, that battle? Because it is certainly not decided at this stage. No, it's not. And it is still very early. Um, you know, earlier in the week, Bryce Elder and Ian Anderson both got smoked. I think Anderson didn't make it out of the first inning. Uh, Elder was not sharp at all. But then you flash forward five days and Elder threw three scoreless against most of the Astros regular starters. And Ian struck out, I think, five and two and a third innings against the Yankees today and looked much better. So you never want to overreact to spring training results just in general, and in particular those from, I guess it was late February when they made their debuts. But nonetheless, we've talked about it. I think it's kind of gone maybe a little under the radar, but the Braves really do need somebody to step up as the fifth starter. And you're not necessarily looking for them to whoever it is to, to win 20 games or to strike out 200 hitters, but they do need some kind of consistency. They're going to need somebody who can work deeper into games. So you're not burning the bullpen and look, man, it, it's an open job. I really believe it. I think Ian Anderson probably has the best odds of getting it just because we have seen him do it at the highest level before. But if, if Bryce Elder, who had some nice moments last year and Colby Allard's big league career has not been great, although he was with the Texas Rangers for most of it, and they are not exactly, uh, you know, they're not the Tampa Bay Rays as a pitching factory where it's like, boy, if you can't figure it out with the Texas Rangers, you just can't figure it out. And I think he's at least an arm who you could send out there every fifth day. Although I think everyone's probably hoping that Anderson goes out and steals it. But again, Elder showed a lot of promise last year, even if it was, predominantly against I thought the Braves were really smart when they used him last year against the Nationals and the Marlins two very bad lineups Um, you know no one's going to have great confidence in Bryce Elder going up against the Yankees in a regular season uh, situation but hey if if he can do his job as the fifth or any of these guys for that matter it's going to be huge for the team it really is and you know they'll they'll box each other out there's still 
I know I've been saying this a lot, and I'll just say it again now. There's still at least a chance that the Braves look around in a couple weeks and decide they need one more guy, and they pick up someone off the scrap heap or make a small trade. Those things do happen in mid to late March. It's sort of a long spring training with the WBC happening. So there's some flexibility there if they don't love their options. But I think there's enough here to not be too worried. There's a little bit of depth, obviously, on the uh, on the roster in this spot. And then hopefully Soroka gets back in the mix when he is back up at 100% at this stage. Um you know, beyond that, it's kind of it for news. Spring training cuts are happening. Chadwick Trump is already off the uh, off the uh, the major league spring roster. He's kind of the third emergency catcher. Um, we penciled it into that role. Yaxel Rios went down today, so no huge surprises. The roster projection um, that's been kind of making the rounds is Mark Bowman. We'll come back to that with, with the bullpen in a moment as well. But um, really, not a lot of like actual surprises or really camp battles like for the roster uh, b- besides the bullpen. You know, fifth, fifth starter. Bullpen and you know, obviously the, the glut of outfielders has been a topic that we'll come back to later on. Also, Chris and Steven discussed it at length on the most recent episode of the podcast to be named later. So I definitely direct you to that. But anything else catch your eye um this early in spring, Scott? I know I'm sure you are yeah. pouring over every single pitch uh out there in Arizona. Yeah, I you know, Vaughn Grissom has had a really nice start, especially offensively. Uh, he's hitting, I think he was hitting like 450 last time I looked hitting for some power, getting on base. Um, And and then defensively, I don't think he has had a ton of chances yet, which is a little bit of a bummer because it would be nice for him to really get some reps in a real game situation. But so far, you know, no news is probably good news with Vaughn defensively. Uh, He he may not be a gold glover there, but if he can at least make the routine plays, we've said it a million times, I think we both are in agreement that Vaughn is going to hit. It's just a matter of, of defensively, and if he can make the routine plays, great, even if you maybe have to pull him out of games later on for Arcia, who's probably a better defensive infielder right now. You have that option as well. But it's good to see Vaughn go out there. You know, With a young guy in particular, you worry a little bit about their mental state. If, if someone like Matt Olson starts the spring 0 for 20, you're probably not going to freak out too much because he's been really good for years. You never want the young kids to go out and struggle and then start pushing things. Uh, so the bat has been really impressive. And you know, overall, I think the Braves got off to a fairly slow start in terms of wins and losses. Not that it means a thing, but overall, the team is playing well. Uh, Max Freed and Spencer Strider did a split squad game on Saturday and both threw really well. Charlie Morton made his debut today on Sunday and pitched well against the Yankees. Uh, so I, I have always said the best part of spring training is when there is no drama, no injuries, no off-field instance. Just get through the month and go up north for opening day. Uh, and so far, knock on wood, we, so far so good in that regard. Yeah, nothing to panic about at, at all. You know, besides the Matt Olson, Babe Ruth routine, uh, Harris, Riley, Acuna, all those guys have really good numbers. Sean Murphy does as well. Um, nice early flashes from some of the competing outfield guys. Eli White has had a good spring so far. Kevin Pillar's been pretty good too. So we'll have more on that in the future, but that's kind of the wrap up of the news portion. We do have a lot to discuss though with the 2023 Atlanta Braves bullpen, which again projects to be awesome. We'll have a full breakdown of what's to come with that group. But first, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate 
in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Scott, the bullpen is a point of strength for this team. One of the themes of this podcast over the years has been just how volatile relief pitchers are, and that's still true. But um, essentially... Every system that I have seen projects the Braves to have either the best or second best bullpen in all of Major League Baseball this year. Fangraphs, number one, uh, comfortably, by the way. Uh, Zips, number one. Steamer, number one. Um, Zips, uh, our friend Dan Zimborski has the Braves with like nine or ten above average relievers in Major League Baseball. And you only need eight. <laughs> so having guys that are not even projected to be in the bullpen to open the season be above average relievers in, across baseball is pretty crazy. And also that comes on the heels of last year where they were excellent. They were a top three or four group in the, in the league across that season. Obviously a little bit of toner, a turnover, I should say, with Kenley Jansen no longer there, Tyler Matzik unavailable due to injury. But this is still a deep and very talented group that has a, you know, the quote unquote closer already in place and an awesome guy there, a great setup man in place. Uh, I think six locks, which we'll come back to in a second. But Scott, are you excited about the group as I am? Because I feel like um, – it's probably the best single unit on paper on the roster. And given how good the Braves are top to bottom, that's not a small thing because the Braves are going to be pretty good everywhere, but the bullpen is uh, really going to be awesome. It seems like. Yeah. I mean, this bullpen is fantastic. You you look at, we're going to go player by player here, but when you can make an argument that the third left-handed arm out of this bullpen <laughs> would be the top left-handed setup option for a decent number of teams in the league. And we're also going to talk about another left-handed guy in Dylan Lee, who might actually find himself in the minor leagues to begin the year just because of a, he has options and other guys don't. I mean, Dylan Lee was fantastic last season for 90% of the teams in the league. He would be an automatic lock and he may end up, I mean, I would ultimately bet that Lee is going to be in Atlanta, but it's at least a, a point of conversation, which is wild. And then from the right-hand side, there's a lot of upside. We know how good Rysel Iglesias was after the trade. And we're going to go down this list here, but it is a terrific unit and, and there's depth. Now I have to tell listeners, if, if there's ever a team that's gone through an entire season with only eight guys, I would like to see it. Someone's going to have injuries. And we said it a year ago, and we'll say it again this time around. You can just about guarantee that one of these guys who were expecting to have a good year just isn't going to have the year that he was hoping for. Yep. Whether it's bad luck, whether it's injury, whether it's just a weird season, 
And then, uh, you know, last year, no one was talking about um, Jackson Stevens this time a year ago. And Jackson Stevens went on to have a really, really nice season for the Braves. So there are no shortage of options here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that about the just, you know, the bands of projection are just a little bit wider on relievers because, you know, think about in even in the last handful of seasons, how many times the Braves have had a guy who you were feeling pretty good about. Even in, again, the Braves have been really good in the bullpen for several years now. And even then, like, let's say there was that year that AJ Minter just melted down. Remember that when he was, he was their closer. And then he had this season where he was just a disaster and he got it back, obviously, and it's now good again. But that, that stuff just, it just kind of happens more. Will Smith, um, obviously not to bring back that era too fondly at this point, but the World Series was nice. Um, but Will Smith was great in with the Giants and then really wasn't with the Braves, despite a big price tag. There's just bigger um, sort of projection bands on relievers. And that is just something you have to keep an eye on. And that's why there is more volatility on this than maybe with position players or even with starting pitchers. But the depth thing is a huge factor, like you just said. And they also have top end talent and that combination is what is really intriguing about this group um i think everyone kind of agrees but i'll just throw this out there to make sure that we're on the same page it looks like there are six guys that barring injury are pretty much guaranteed to be in the bullpen on opening day um you have iglesias as the closer of course you have mentor you have jimenez you have colin McHugh, you have uh lukey i believe this is the way you say his name lucas lukey uh and then you have kirby yates and uh, I actually saw our, our our pal Steven throughout this this six pack of locks, and people were questioning Kirby Yates being a lock. I'll just say this now. We'll come back to him later on. Uh, as Steven said, he's making $6 million this year. Uh, Kirby Yates could pretty much do anything uh, short of being injured in the spring, and, he'll, and he's going to be on the team. I can't imagine them not having Kirby Yates, despite uh, his production the last couple of years and the injury stuff. He's going to be around. So that's the six, I feel like, Scott. Are we on the same page? Yeah, I would agree. And I know uh, I'm glad you pointed out Kirby Yates because, you know, the Braves front office has tried to get this guy healthy and on the mound for like three years now. There was that report. They tried to sign him in 2020, yep, maybe 2021. And they it never went through because of a failed physical. We didn't know about it until maybe a month or two later. And then, of course, they went out and even though he was rehabbing from Tommy John, made it a point to go and sign him again. Uh, and last last fall for an older guy like him coming back from Tommy John, I don't you should not take too much away from his handful of appearances. And sure, if if it's June 1st and Kirby is just not he just doesn't have it, then you can probably cut ties. But I would agree. I think he is very, very close to being a lock. Yeah, again, and injuries could pop up. And I know Lukey's not a guy, a guy that race fans are necessarily familiar with, but he's another player who has been quite good and also, you know, projects to be very good this year and seems to be pretty safe. They acquired him actively. So there's that. And then, you know, Mark Bowman will set the stage here by saying uh, on Saturday released a projection for the bullpen. Um, and he had for seven and eight in some order, Dylan Lee, Jesse Chavez, but there are definitely contenders for that, which we'll come back to in a moment. We'll start at the top though. Uh, Russell, Russell Iglesias um, is pretty clearly the ninth inning guy. Um, no matter what you think about closers and the traditional roles of that, he is their best reliever on paper. He is given the way that Brian Sticker operates. We'll probably see him in the ninth inning a lot. And uh, in short, when he arrived in Atlanta last year, he was the best reliever in baseball from that point forward. Is he going to be that, um, that level this year? Maybe not. 
but uh big picture he's been basically elite for six or seven of the last you know seven seasons basically he's been incredibly good for a very long time he's making a lot of money and uh, you got to feel good about that you know not really losing anything in fact probably improving on what kenley jansen gave you in that role last year kenley was such a roller coaster i mean one night it would look unhittable. And then the next night he couldn't find the zone. Right. And he ended the year overall. I think he was okay. But for a team like the Braves where the NL East is going to be so competitive and even just the, the handful of playoff spots up for grabs in the national league are going to be very, very competitive with kind of the top heavy nature of the league this year, they're going to need a really, really rock steady ninth inning guy. And I think Iglesias can be that. You mentioned he's been under the radar. He, of course, was really good with the Cincinnati Reds, but not a huge market, not a team that's had a ton of playoff success. So it went a little under the radar. But, I mean, I was blown away. And admittedly, when the Iglesias trade happened at the deadline last year, now I was kind of, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't upset about it, but I was a little like, man, it's a lot of money for a reliever. He's on the wrong side of 30. He's been good, but maybe not great with the, Uh, Anaheim Angels, and he surpassed every expectation imaginable. I mean, he was phenomenal. You said he was the best in the league. That's, I would agree, struck out 30 of 100 batters faced and only (laughs) walked five guys. I mean, everyone knows in in the ninth inning, if you put on a walk, you walk a hitter, it just feels inevitable that they're going to come around to score. Uh, So the fact that he throws strikes is really encouraging. He's not somebody historically who's had a problem with throwing strikes. And I think that's just so important late in games. You have to be over the zone. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I, I, I was pleasantly surprised with just how good he was and short of injury or just something bizarre happening. I think he will be the ninth inning guy. Most of the time he might get a night off here or there, but he was just so good last year. Yeah, a few more stats. You know, he had a 0.34 ERA, which is clearly not sustainable for anyone. But if you like FIP as your projection uh, tool, he had a a 1.52 FIP, which is almost more impressive than the 0.34 ERA, to be honest. Like, that's that's extremely good. And he'll be worse than that, I'm pretty confident. But, you know, has an ERA of, like, the mid-twos or lower in six of the last seven seasons. Iglesias is very good. You know, he's not the youngest guy in the world. Maybe that's maybe a concern at some point, but he isn't the oldest either. Like I'm looking at this up now. He's 33 and just turned 33. So he's a young 33. That's fine. I think that's not really a concern at this point, given that Jansen was like a hundred last year, obviously when season started. Anyway, not too much else to say about Iglesias. The trade was interesting and it seems clear to me that Anthopolis really likes to have at least one extremely expensive reliever on the roster for whatever reason. That's been a staple of his team building, but uh, I'm not I'm not going to rip it. It's obviously worked out pretty well for them. Even the Will Smith thing, it worked for a month and a very important month. Hey, so. That's right, baby. That, <laughs> that banner will fly forever at Truist, and it was all worth it. I like to think one day, very randomly, I'll be at some, I don't even know, a bar, and Will Smith will walk in, and I will get to shake his hand and say, thank you very much, Will. You nearly gave me a heart attack every time you came on the mound, but God damn it, we're World Series champions, <laughs> and that's all that matters, baby. Will Smith and Eddie Rosario should never, ever, ever buy a drink again anywhere in the city of Atlanta or, or elsewhere, honestly. Okay, um, I think AJ Minter is the logical place to go next. Uh, he is, um, at least on paper, the very logical high leverage setup man, at least number one on that list. He was excellent last season. Basically had a top five profile in the National League in terms of his metrics, a low two ZRA, 
strikeouts off the charts, walks really low. He led the team in appearances. Um, he was excellent. And I think as long as uh, he is healthy, that should be the baseline moving forward. He's a very important guy because also he's also left-handed, which helps. The, the stuff always plays up. And, you know, Braves fans know him very well, so I don't necessarily need to belabor this too much. But uh, Mentor being your second best reliever is great because, like like you sort of referred to it earlier, Mentor would be the, the would be, quote unquote, the closer on what half teams in the league more. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I mean, he, he is <clears throat> because he has not been in that normal closer role for most of his career. I think he is underrated both locally and nationally. And I think Braves fans obviously know that A.J. Minter is a good reliever, but his stats hold up against basically anybody since he's come up to the majors. Uh, love him from the left side. He throws so hard. The one year he wasn't good <clears throat> was the year he was in a pretty bad car crash in the spring, hurt his shoulder and just was never right. I, I think at that point, that was probably the only reason why he wasn't good. He's been awesome ever since. Mentioned a while ago, he was a pretty high draft pick as well. It wasn't like this was a 29th round guy who came out of nowhere. So he had some pedigree. But yeah, all in on AJ Minter, really, really good, just rock steady. And if something does happen to Iglesias, whether it's an injury or just having a bad couple of games, you know that you have AJ down there who has done it before and, and has some experience. And I mean, I would have full confidence handing him the ball in the ninth inning if the situation called for it. Certainly. Again, I think he projects conservatively as like a top 20 reliever in baseball, maybe even higher than that. Like he's, he's been that good um, for most of his career. So I kind of feel pretty safe about that. And the stuff, it's not like he's smoking mirrors. Like his stuff is fantastic as well, which helps to cover up for a lot. Um, You know, the other, I guess, logical, if there were to be an issue with Iglesias, potential quote-unquote closer candidate is probably Joe Jimenez. Um, he was a closer with the Tigers last year. Um, had great numbers, honestly. Uh, he was not been, he's sort of been more up and down than Minter has been. But if you look at his numbers from last year, they look elite. Like he had a 2.00 FIP last year. Um, he's obviously not familiar to, to Braves fans a ton. We talked about him a lot when they, when they acquired him. But uh, what do you make of... Joe Jimenez, because I think he's not famous, but if you look at just, again, just last year, he was fantastic. So the Braves are hoping that that continues this year. Yeah. You know, Jimenez, if you compare his numbers last year to AJ Minter, they're very similar. And Jimenez is from the right side, but again, huge strikeout numbers struck out a third of the batters he faced and only walked 5.6% of them. Walks have been a trouble at, at times for Jimenez and uh, coming from Detroit, again, Detroit is not exactly a pitching factory, so I will take our chances with with developing him and, and hopefully having him take the next step. But he was an all-star. I think he was probably Detroit's all-star representative yeah, last 20, summer. 20, no, it was, it was 2018, actually. Uh, I had the same thing. Uh, I, I'm looking it up right now because I had that same exact thought that you just did. Um, he was way better last year than he was in 2018, um, but – I think it was just the Tigers being so bad and they had to pick somebody. Um, yeah. Cause he yeah. is actually, he doesn't really have save numbers either. Like he's never had a big save season. So he's been in a late inning reliever for them multiple times. But if you're trying to paint the negative picture on Jimenez, which I'm not trying to do by the way, but if you were trying to, he's really only had two good seasons. Um, he's had a couple of solid seasons and a couple of bad seasons and a couple of really good seasons. And last year was one of the really good ones. And you know, he's 27, 28 now, but yeah, his all-star season, if you kind of just look at the box score, it doesn't look great at all. Like it, he has a four point, yeah. he had a three point three, uh, sorry, four point three ERA that year with three saves. So that that's the Tigers All Star you ever seen it. It's uh, it's pretty yeah. funny actually. 
Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned he has an up-and-down past. Uh, he was really good last year, wasn't as good the years before. You know, we talk about the volatility of bullpens. You know, if you flash forward seven or eight months from now, if you told me that Joe Jimenez was one of the best relievers in the National League, I would believe you. Yep. And if you also told me that he was basically forced out of high leverage spots by the middle of the summertime because he was having trouble throwing strikes, I would believe that too. I mean, I think those are all possible outcomes. Very clearly, the Braves have been interested. I believe it came out that after they traded for him in November, it came out that they also tried to acquire him at the trade deadline last summer. So clearly, the front office likes him. And again, there's a lot to like. He's a big guy and he throws hard. Um, but I, I do think he's someone who has a range of outcomes, whereas, I mean, I guess all of these guys do to some extent. But I, I feel much more confident that somebody like Colin McHugh or A.J. Minter are a little safer, if that makes sense. Uh, but I, I like the trade at the time. And I think Jimenez, who is only under contract for one more year be before he becomes a free agent, has a lot of incentive to have a really nice year. Yeah, I, I agree with that um, sort of framing that he is maybe even more volatile than a typical reliever. And we'll go to McHugh now because McHugh is, um, you know, every reliever has some uncertainty, but he seems to be as safe as a reliever can possibly be, to be honest. Um, he was number two last year in reliever war on the Braves, which tells you how good he was behind only Minter. Um, he has a sub, he has a sub three RA in almost 70 innings. Um, great strikeout to walk ratio. He was uh, really, really, really good after April. He kind of had a rough like three weeks arc. And I think because he had just gotten to the Braves, people were like, oh, who is this guy? And then quietly, he just was nails the rest of the season. And I, I've i long thought he was an underrated guy. And I think that's definitely the case now. Um, I, I trust Colin McHugh. And he's another example of a guy who would be, if not the number one reliever on a lot of teams, certainly a top two reliever on a lot of teams. And he is at least the third, if not the fourth on this roster. That sounds like a lot of these guys in, in the bullpen. I'm not trying to say that uh, to probably blow smoke. If you're a new listener, we don't generally talk this positively about everything, but this bullpen is pretty easy to talk about. And Colin McHugh just seems to be awesome, to be honest with you, under the hood. Like there's not, there's not a lot to like dislike about Colin McHugh, basically. Yeah, he was really good last year. And sure, he had like infamously that game in Cincinnati where within a span of like six pitches, he gave up four runs or something like yeah. every reliever is going to have a bad afternoon or a bad evening. Like that that's the nature of the beast. But you mentioned his numbers overall, especially after late April. And I want to say McHugh did an interview at some point, maybe over the winter, that historically he has not pitched very well at the beginning of the year. And I think that's something we've heard more about for hitters. Like, oh, there's guys who always get off to a slow start, but check their numbers on on June 15th, and all of a sudden they're they're right where they should be. Uh, maybe he just doesn't like pitching in the beginning of the year um, for whatever reason. I think that has been a trend. But overall, his numbers were terrific. He is so versatile as well. You could throw him out there in the fifth inning of a five to five game, or you could throw him out there in the ninth inning if if it really came to it. Uh, so just a, a terrific ad. I know when the Braves signed him, uh, some national reporter had a quote from a rival executive saying, how the hell did the Braves sign this guy for $4 million <laughs> a year? I think that's after watching him for a season, that that was very well-spent money. And uh, again, relievers are funny. They're a funny bunch, but I, I really have a lot of confidence when he's out there. He is an older guy. I'll say that he'll be 36 later this year. So that maybe is the biggest question with McHugh. But to back you up on the on the splits, his two worst months by ERA in his career are April and May. So 
that makes sense. Uh, he he's gotten better. I'm not sure if that's like a you know signal versus noise kind of thing, but he has been better as the season's gone along. His best month is August. Um, you know, so yeah, a lot to like there. But generally speaking, you know, for seven or eight years now, he's been an upper level reliever. Not always like flat out dominant, but essentially he's never had a bad season since he got established in the league. And since 2014, his ERA is like 3.3 something. So that's a long time, you know, eight or nine years and uh, very, very effective across organizations, Houston, Tampa Bay in 2021. And then with the Braves last year, um, Tampa Bay, by the way, he was just incredible in 2021. Yeah, I was kinda, that was, that was the funny thing about that. Just like he, he had this awesome season and just got this bargain contract. So weird. Yeah, thing. no, it was, he, he signed right after the lockout a year ago. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you talk about for a pitcher going from Houston to Tampa Bay to Atlanta, that, that doesn't suck for the old career development. No, and we should say he is a local product. Um, he went to Providence, which actually is downstreet from where I used to live in Lilburn, Georgia, and Gwinnett County, which I know you're very familiar with, Scott, and you're dialed into that. Oh, yeah. But uh, went to Barry College in Georgia as well. So I have a feeling that's probably why he signed with the Braves for that number, if I had to guess. He is from here. But that helps the Braves, obviously, and that's not the first time that's happened around the league. And he's made some money in his career and uh, certainly uh, a nice luxury to have this really, really good reliever as this like flex guy for you, essentially, which is where he is in the pecking order. Um, so from there, that, that's kind of your top four. I think Lucas Lukey is probably number five in terms of like the safety list. He is 35 as well, like uh, McHugh was, but and the, of course, the guy that came, coming from outside the organization, he was with the Yankees, um, a lefty, which is intriguing. Um, very good the last couple of years with New York, but I wonder what you make of that. I know you looked him up a little bit the last couple of days. Uh, what do you make of Lucas Lukey? Because I think that he's just been discussed less than all of these guys by us even and by other people. So what do you make of that, uh, that addition and what his role might be? Yeah, I was mostly just surprised that he was crunched off the Yankees bullpen. I mean, obviously New York is trying to win a world series. They similarly have a very good bullpen like the Braves do. And I think it was just one of those situations. They just couldn't find a spot for him. And I mean, that that's the Braves gain. Uh, you look at his numbers, and I looked up some some highlights of him as well because I admittedly had never really seen him pitch. And he is your typical from the left side, just a nasty wipeout breaking ball. I mean, he had – there was a clip where he had Rafael Devers almost falling over. He was so nasty. So I would imagine even though there is the three batter minimum rule still in place, I would imagine he will be the Braves' predominant left-handed weapon in the middle innings. You know, bring him in to face Bryce Harper – uh, bring him in to face Jeff McNeil, you know, th those talented lefties that are scattered not only in the East, but just across the league now that there's the more balanced schedule. But nonetheless, he seems like a good dude, good family man. Um, and, and, you know, again, it was the Braves' game that he was available. I think they gave up, uh, you know, a teenage pitching prospect in order to get him. And those are just a dime a dozen. You see, maybe in five years, he's good. Maybe he's out of baseball. But I think Lukey is going to have a role for sure. And you talk about having a trio of lefties of him, Minter, and Dylan Lee. I mean, that that's really good stuff. And yeah, it's actually weird, the story. I wonder if there's more to it, but I'm sure there is. But he was essentially, he didn't pitch in the majors from 2015 to 2021. Like he was a journeyman. And early on in his career in Seattle, where he started out, he was fine. Like he was a major league caliber pitcher, but wasn't, fantastic and I think just kind of didn't have it and then the last two years with the Yankees he put together like two full seasons 107 appearances with a 2.71 ERA 
in in New York, like playing on a team that matters. Like I think this is a guy who was on the Marlins or on your local Diamondbacks or something like that. People would be like, okay, this guy's not. It's kind of been an obscurity. This is the guy who pitched for the Yankees and pitched very well the last two years. So I don't know what clicked there. I'm not an expert on Lucas Vicky at this point, but certainly. Uh, the numbers look good the last two years. He is a veteran. He's been he's been through some things, and uh, you know, again, not not a ton of pressure to be like like the fifth reliever on this roster. But the left handedness helps the splits are you know reasonable on that level. So he, he can't just like not face righties either. And uh, yeah, cross your fingers. But if he's the same if he's the same guy he was the last two years, you're getting a very good pitcher for a bargain basement price. You know, I know we're going to talk about Dylan Lee here in a minute, who is equally, if not even more impressive from the left side, but. You know, I think there's also just that ability to, especially late in games, kind of play matchups. And obviously the the regular season and the postseason are very different games, but you, you can never have too many good lefty relievers. I don't care how good you feel about it. Um, you can take all the lefties in the world and you can add one more. Um, yeah, I just wanted I, – I, I was really surprised that he was available by the Yankees, quite honestly. It is worth noting – he generally was not pitching like the eighth inning for New York. He, he similarly was probably more in a sixth or seventh inning role. And I would imagine short of injury to AJ Minter, that's probably how he's going to be used again this year. But Hey, if he's comfortable in that role and he's kind of that lefty weapon, and even then he he's not even that bad against righties either. He buries no, that no. slider kind of the way that Will Smith at least tried to. <laughs> Um, tried to is probably the key word, but uh, we're being too mean to World Series champion Will Smith. I will. Hi, will. I, know, I, know, I know Will's a listener to the podcast, so I'm sure oh, he yeah. Be he actually he just signed, uh, I think with the Texas Rangers, maybe. Um, I, I honestly, I honestly thought, and I, I never said it on the show on purpose, I was wondering if the Braves might kick the tires on Will Smith just oh, because it, it's, it's a relationship business. Everyone seemed to like Will, and obviously he had the big moment of glory. Snit always liked Will, and I'm not saying it was going to happen, but I just wondered in my mind if they might do that because it'd be a very brave thing to do, to be honest with you, like the Jesse Chavez thing, just like bring the guy back whenever he's available, basically. And uh, I would have loved to see the reaction from Braves fans if it was if he was if he was in camp Holy with Braves, would have been fun. That might have been a. Uh... <laughs> an emergency <laughs> podcast just for the hell of it like we're going to talk about will smith for 20 minutes um yeah he did sign with the texas rangers for one and a half million dollars guaranteed another two and a half million in incentives so it's not bad work if you can get it i i would probably take a million and a half dollars to throw baseballs um yeah anyway good, moving good, on good for will um yeah. we referenced kirby yates earlier I don't have a lot to say at this moment. Maybe you do. I'll just highlight just for people that don't know this necessarily, because it was an odd structure. Like you said earlier, the Braves signed him when he was basically hurt and no, and basically they, they did a buy low where they paid him very little last year with the guarantee to incentivize him was for this year to pay him more when he's going to be healthy. He is healthy right now. He's pitching in spring. Uh, Kirby Yates was electric in 2018, and 2019 had some injuries last year. He pitched very little and was not good when he pitched, the models like zips and stuff like that. They still like him quite a bit. Um, he'll have some runway. I agree with what you said earlier about Kirby. Like he'll have a little bit of time to sort of solidify himself, but the Braves given where they are and that they're trying to win the world series this year, he won't have unlimited runway, but as long as he looks like Kirby Ace or something close to that, he'll stick around. But the, uh, I, I think his, uh, his variance is about as high as anybody's because if he's just the guy he was before, He's awesome, and he uh, because he hasn't pitched so he hasn't pitched in so long, at least not, not effectively. His floor is extremely low. So, 
all relievers have this, but Yates probably has the widest variance of anybody just because of all the uncertainty. Yeah, and similarly to Lukey and a couple of these other guys we're about to talk about, you know, the Braves aren't necessarily looking for Kirby Yates to lock down the eighth inning. No. I mean, if he's kind of the seventh arm out of the bullpen, I'll take it, right? I mean, once upon a time, he was legitimately – I mean, he might have been the best reliever in baseball with the Padres for a year or two. And granted, this was four or five years ago, so it's not like it was just yesterday. But once upon a time, he was very good. If he can get that split finger going, he is just – I mean, it was just such a good pitch. And he's obviously older, but the fact that he's now had almost two full years to recover from the surgery, you know, it's probably a now or never type thing for him, and and let's hope it's now. Agreed. And we'll leave it there, and we'll come back to that if he shows more signs in either direction. So those are the six locks we talked about for the most part. Then you have, I think it's probably three guys realistically competing, maybe a fourth or fifth in a second that we'll get to. But it's Dylan Lee, it's Jesse Chavez, and it's Nick Anderson, who is the guy from outside the organization that's in the mix for probably two spots. And then you can get in Jackson Stevens, who they did, who they did, uh, they DFA'd him, but he and they brought him back. He's, he's actually on the, on the forty man right now. And then the ultra sleeper is Dylan Dodd, the twenty uh, four year old left hander who was way off the radar for this year, but looks great in spring. And our prospect guys like him a lot too. Um, you know, Lee, we talked about earlier, but Lee really was, like you said, he was really good last year, man. I, I don't know how much you believe it. He was probably best known before that for starting a World Series game in a very funny way. But um, I don't know. Dylan Lee's good. I, I'm, I'm not sure what else to add. He has a minor yeah. league option, which is important. Uh, both Lee and Anderson have minor league options. So if the Braves want to be a little bit uh, strategic, you would have one of those guys not make it because Jesse Chavez is not is not on the 40-man. They're going to have to sign him, and he's 100 years old. So I, I think the smart money is probably on either Lee or Anderson starting Gwinnett just because they can. But uh, Dylan Lee is a major league pitcher, and certainly a lot of teams would like to have Dylan Lee on the, on the roster. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if, if Dylan Lee didn't have the minor league options left, he would be a lock. And he Agreed. would probably be like the third or fourth name on that list of locks that we had uh, because he has the versatility and – Said it a few minutes ago, you're going to need more than eight relievers to cover a full year. Ultimately, I do think Dylan Lee will be on the <clears throat> on the roster come opening day. And then you mentioned Nick Anderson, who may not be a super familiar name to folks, but you know, Nick Anderson was just fantastic with Tampa Bay in 2019 and in the shortened 2020 season. Just absurd stats. And then he's been hurt ever since. And that was three years ago at this point, which is crazy to think. But you know, three years is not an insignificant amount of time. But Anderson, like a couple of other guys on this list, has a lot of upside. And if he can stay healthy, which is probably easier said than done, but if he can stay healthy, he absolutely has a spot on the major league team. Uh, because it's been so long since he's pitched regularly at any level, let alone the majors, I, I would be... I wouldn't be surprised if Atlanta starts him in Gwinnett and gets him really moving. You can always bring him up at a moment's notice if you need to. But I do think just because of everything we've said, um, there, there's a lot of enviable. Those, those options are really valuable with relievers with how much shuttling goes on throughout the year. Right. And I do think if you are betting again, it's it's Sunday, March 5th as we record this podcast, no injuries, whatever. I would my assumption is going to be that they're going to start the season with Lee and Chavez on the major league club and Anderson and Gwinnett. And that's fine. Anderson has really high upside. He is a different version of Kirby Yates, but sort of the same theoretical thing. Uh, a once really good pitcher has been banged up for a while. Um, and then Chavez, like 
I have nothing to add. Jesse Chavez is really good with the Braves and bad everywhere else. It's so it's so weird, but it still keeps happening over multiple seasons. He was really good last year. Uh, and this is a stat that I pulled, I think, during uh, an earlier episode. But Jesse Chavez in his last 71 appearances with the Braves, again, only with the Braves, 71 appearances, 2.29 ERA. <laughs> like, and he was terrible with the Angels, just terrible. And they, 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 they it's just, an, it's, the whole thing is crazy. And the Cubs. And the Cubs, I mean, yes. <laughs> I almost forgot that the Braves had to trade for Jesse early on, especially when the bullpen was having so much trouble last year. And the dude goes out there and throws 89-mile-an-hour darts, and nobody hits it. I mean, he's 39 just, years old. Like, yeah, he just he just does his thing, man. He wakes up, rolls out of bed, and throws two scoreless innings every three days. And, um, you know, and I know Mark Bowman also noted that and these are things that we maybe don't see on television every night, but that Jesse is kind of the leader of the bullpen, kind of that guy and behind closed doors who you know, keeps things together and is always available to talk. So that's something that obviously is going to carry a ton of weight. You know, it is possible at age 39, he just doesn't have it at some point, but he was just so good last year. And even if he is the eighth man in the bullpen and maybe throwing the garbage innings, you know, there's always a game every week where it's like, yeah, let's, Let's get Jesse a couple innings. And if that situation doesn't come and you're going to have him pitch in a fairly close game, then all the better. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought the thing about him being a leader. And I'm not trying to belittle his his ability because, he's again, he's he's been good the last, co- the last couple of years with the Braves on the mound. But if you have him around, like right now, he's on a minor league contract, not on the 40-man rotation. Uh, sorry, 40-man roster. So they have, they have to sign him to a at least a league minimum deal to have him around if they do that. And, you know, if it doesn't work, or if he just is done, I think you just want to have him around. Like he becomes an assistant, he basically becomes an assistant coach at some point. You know what I'm saying? Like he's had this incredible career. I'm looking this up now in fan graphs. He was drafted in 2002, which is a long time ago. Of course, I was in high school. You were not in high school yet, I would imagine. Um, he was a 42nd round pick. <laughs> That's insane. Like, uh, I don't know. Jesse Chavez's career has been incredible. But if, it, if it's just time, then it's time. But as long as he looks like himself in spring, like just sign the guy to the minimum, have yeah. him around for the vibes. If he's bad, he's bad. And you can just move on cheaply. And if he's good, he's valuable because again, the last two years, he's been really good. Yeah, he has. And I mean, again, just seeing such an easy guy to root for. Looks like he's having a blast out there. You mentioned about as unconventional of a career as you're going to see for a guy who's been around for 20 years now as a pro. I mean, that's crazy. A great personal story. I think he he met his wife and they've been together for, you know, like he, he first started dating his now wife when they were 12 and they've been together ever since. Like just an awesome personal story that some broadcast had on him. Um, yeah, I'd be surprised. I mean, if they broke camp without Jesse, I I mean, I, again, I think he maybe is surprised. Not <laughs> yeah, I, maybe yeah, not a lock, but you do need that guy in the bullpen who is not going to complain if he has to throw 50 pitches in a nine to two game on a Wednesday night, right? Like you need that option. You're not going to want to burn one of your top dogs. If the game is out of hand, or even with the new extra inning games, we've seen games go still to the 11th, 12th, 13th innings. You, you do need that guy who has a rubber arm. And that's one thing he does really well. Yeah. You can't be a lock if you are not on the 40 man (laughs) as of March 5th, but uh, if he was, he would be near that level, if that makes sense. So hopefully that's enough on Jesse Chavez, but he's a fan favorite too. on top of everything else, everybody loves him. And uh, 
I think he sticks around. So we'll see. Last couple of candidates. We mentioned Dylan Dodd. Uh, you know, he was, I think he's probably going to be a starter at some point, but um, 24 year old, again, looks great in the spring. He was kind of the early first week buzz guy in the media and by fans. And I get why. That's why we're including him here. I'd be surprised if he broke camp with the Braves. It'd be pretty surprising and across the board, I think. But a third round pick from two years ago and a guy to keep an eye on. And then I think you said it earlier, Jackson Stevens was like a quality major league reliever last year who they had to DFA for procedural reasons. But if they have an injury or two and have to go to Jackson Stevens, that's that's fine. Like just, He's a very, very solid eighth man in the bullpen and nothing else. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you know, talking about the fifth starter battle earlier in this pod, you know, I almost think it's more likely that we would see Dylan Dodd in that fifth starter role than in yeah, a bullpen role. Maybe, yeah. I mean, obviously, it's he has a ways to go and develop, but the prospect guys really like him. He has great stuff from the left side. He's had a great start to camp, but because you have those three veteran lefties, right? Like something very odd would have to happen, I think, for for Dodd to be a prominent bullpen arm. But if you're going to send him to Gwinnett and let him continue to develop, uh, and then and that that's a good situation to have. And then if if it's me, uh, short of injury, I think Jackson Stevens, even though he deserves a major league spot, I think you probably begin the year in Gwinnett just from the roster crunch. But again, man, it, all it takes is a pitcher to have a little bit of a sore shoulder or elbow or just has a bad couple of days and they want to throw him on the the IL in order to get him right. You know, it's it's the Gwinnett shuttle, right? You just go up the highway and all of a sudden uh, you're in the mix. And we know that that's how uh, bullpens operate. So it's it's I wish Jackson Stevens, who by all accounts just seems like a great dude, really liked on the team, was going to break camp. I guess it's not impossible. But at the end of the day, it's really just a numbers game. You can only carry eight relievers. and I'm just not sure whose spot he's going to take. Right. Jackson Stevens, just for the record, had a 3.69 ERA last year in 53 and two-thirds innings. Um, so that's that's good production for a reliever, and uh, he'll hang around somewhere, I would imagine, around the team. You know, again, we talked about all these guys individually now, just as they were sort of a wrap-up. The collective is very strong. Um, I gave the numbers earlier, but, I mean, literally projected as the number one bullpen in the major leagues across systems that I trust – um, with like a low threes ERA projection. It is a group that it would be hard to pick apart on paper. There is volatility, but as far as confidence level is concerned, if I imagine you do a one to 10, as far as like bullpen adjusted confidence level, where are you at, Scott? I imagine it's pretty high on that oh, list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's as much confidence I think as you can have in a bullpen on, you know, early March. On March 5th. Yes, exactly. I uh, We agree with that. I mean, I guess it could be possible to just have more talent but you know if they had somehow got Kenley back and just had unlimited but even then like are they even better I don't even know so I'm not trying to go crazy that's not really what you and I are known for to be effusive in our praise for no reason and we're not doing it for no reason this is a team that everyone loves the bullpen and it's going to be a strong unit and uh that's all I have on that unless you have more to add Scott we can move on from the bullpen bullpen. no nothing really as you said you to, to wrap it up. I mean, a great group, a lot of depth. I mean, there's like 10 or 11 guys here who I think we all have pretty high confidence in, and I'm guessing all of them are going to get a chance in Atlanta at some point. And then there's other guys too. I mean, I guarantee you there's a name in the organization who we haven't even mentioned who will pitch this year. Yes. You know, yeah. 45 minutes. We've been talking about it and <laughs> guaranteed there'll be a guy who throws big innings last year. It was Jackson Stevens. A couple of years ago, it was Tyler Matzik. 
somebody is going to step up and throw nice, you know, do a nice job for the Braves. And again, that that's bullpens for you, but it's, it's a really, really good group. Yeah. We try to just do the guys who we know were close. Um, but if you just do the math on how many guys typically pitch for major league teams over the course of 162, there will be a guy or two or three. We do not talk about that could appear and look, um, this is a very sort of small part of this projection, but whoever doesn't win the fifth starter job could be in the bullpen at some point too, as a long man or whatever, whether it's Ian Anderson, um, Bryce Elder could be the long man. I kind of doubt it, it, it would be Soroka just because of just the way they're trying to build him back up. But you shouldn't be surprised if one of those starters, quote unquote, ends up in the long man role at some point, just because if that's the way it works. Oh yeah. And it's, I mean, it's a long season, man. It sure it's is. 162, six months. I mean, just there's so many things that can come up over a year. And you're right. I mean, you do need a long man of some kind to cover innings, to eat innings in games that are not close. I do think as long as Jesse Chavez, as long as Father Time doesn't show up, <laughs> that that's probably his role for this year, just based on all the guys ahead of him. But you're right. I mean, if you tell me they, they're going to shift out uh, Bryce Elder to the bullpen in the middle of the summertime because – they just need someone to eat innings, then sure. I could I see mean, that. Colby Allard has thrown about half of his total appearances in the major leagues have been on the bullpen. Like he doesn't really profile as a bullpen guy with his stuff, but that's what he's done in Texas. So like it's not wouldn't be out of the question for any of those guys to throw some bullpen uh time this year. All right, we'll get out of here. Uh just as a reminder. The WBC starts on Tuesday. Uh, we're not going to do a WBC preview on this particular episode, but I'm sure that Sean will talk about it a little bit along the way. I'll watch as much as I can. I'm in the throes of basketball at this point in time, but that's a big event in the baseball world. This, this starts literally in two days as we record this. Are you looking forward to WBC baseball, Scott? I know you're a basketball stuff too, but busy. Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I think, um, you know, anytime guys play for their countries, they're just so passionate out there. And admittedly, baseball is not always the most emotional game right? It's a long season. Uh, but even like Ronald Acuna Jr. said um, earlier, maybe it was this weekend, just how excited he is. And, um, you know, guys are just obviously so passionate about the places they grew up in. And I think it's a great event, something that baseball has really nailed um, over the last, I don't know, decade or whenever it was first introduced. But I am looking forward to watching that. You have a great week of college basketball coming up. You have hockey, you have NBA. I mean, it's a good time uh, to be a sports fan. Yeah, and uh, just as a reminder, there has not been a WBC in six years because 2020 was going to be the, the last year that happened, and obviously nothing happened at that point in time in 2020. So uh, it's been a long time. Like, it didn't quite strike me until I was looking at this for the podcast, like how long it's been since it happened, but I, uh, I'm i a fan of the event as well. Um, Selection Sunday is something that's a, a passion of yours and mine. We will not do a uh, college basketball preview right now, but we're a week away from that as we're talking. And also, the Braves are off on Monday and then have a rare spring training night game on Tuesday against Boston. So uh, if you're nice. listening to this podcast between between now and then, some prime time, uh, I, well, I guess it's still afternoon for you, Scott, but non-morning baseball for you on, uh, on Tuesday. Yeah. yeah, the 10 a.m. first pitches for spring training kind of throw me off out here, but... Uh... <laughs> Right, midseason form. I, that's what we're here for. Does, does, doesn't it become two hours again pretty soon um, for does. you? I know this is this is some Arizona talk because Arizona is just bizarre, but you will only be two hours behind in a little bit, so that'll be nice yeah. for you. No, it does help. And I do, Brad. Before we get out of here, I want to oh, give no. a shout out, <clears throat> a shout out to the great city of Nashville, Tennessee. Oh yeah, your 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 trip over here. You, of course, you're not they're not coming to Atlanta. You could have just gotten in a car and driven down here and did the podcast live with me, but that's okay. I actually, uh, I stopped through the Atlanta airport coming back. Lovely. Um, yes. So I, I should have sent out the smoke signals for you. 
uh, we could have, I mean, I was locked down in the airport, so I guess we could have like figured out a way to do it at TSA or something. I, 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 could, I could have bought a flight to like Savannah just to get through security and uh, sit down with you. But yeah, you uh, how, how was, how was Nashville? I guess you, you survived. I joked that you didn't survive because you went quiet for like a day and I was like, Oh no, what happened to Scott? You know, I had never been and I am a huge fan of the city of Nashville I mean, great people. We had a blast. Great people, great music, great food. I would weigh 900 pounds if I was eating the barbecue and the Nashville hot chicken. I mean, just awesome. Great time. Highly recommend. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are in the area or nearby, but um, I had never been. It's it's kind of, uh, it's funny as somebody who goes to Las Vegas a bunch, it is like, it's both the same, but it's entirely different at the same time. Uh, we had a whole discussion on the way back about comparing Nashville and Vegas. But if by chance any of our listeners have not gone, I highly recommend a trip. Get some buddies or, you know, your significant other, whoever, and go because we had a blast. I am extremely confident we have a lot of listeners that live in or around Nashville. I know one of them, Stephen Godfrey, is a Nashville resident. And Stephen will, I'm sure, hear this and send me a message in the next couple of days. Um but yeah, Nashville's great. I had uh, my brother used to live there for a little bit of time. I've been there several times, but I'm not an expert. But certainly, uh, Nashville is a place that is uh, burgeoning, uh, essentially short of Atlanta, about as big a uh, big and growing of a city as there is in this region of the country. So, uh, you your your maiden voyage was a success. That that's positive. It was Scott. great time. Five you'll start, stars. You'll start sounding like Sean Coleman if you go to if you go to Nashville too often because that's that's uh, right. I was uh, I was bummed. You were trying to check out a Nashville Predators game because it's right there. It is, um, but they were out of town, which is a bummer. Um, but again, man, no matter what you're into, sports, music, food, you name it, we we had a blast. Uh, pretty much every year or two, the SEC tournament happens at that arena in Nashville at Bridgestone. I believe it's there this year. Yeah, it's there this year. I'm not going this year, but I've been to cover that event, and uh, you can imagine the scene of Kentucky and Tennessee fans just flooding oh, Nashville yeah. that weekend. It is uh, outrageous stuff. That okay, sounds awesome. Well, and it the is. Titans are across the river too. Titans are right which... there. They're going to redo the stadium pretty soon, and yeah, it's a, it's yeah. a scene. This is, for this, sure. this podcast brought to you by the city of Nashville. I'm I'm say that a Nashville PR hit for Scott. That's going to be fantastic stuff. We can send this to Nashville right. PR in general. Okay, well, we've done enough on this show. Scott, I will not even bring up that Arizona lost to UCLA last night or that Michigan just lost as we're recording this podcast in brutal fashion, as they always do in college basketball. You and I are getting ready for that. And I promise we'll probably do a little bit of college basketball talk next week because people want it for some reason. We talked about this last time we, we did a podcast and people responded with like, no, we actually want you guys to talk about college basketball. I'm like, I don't think you do. I think maybe you do, listener, but most people don't. But hey. We'll probably indulge a little bit next week. Why not? That's right. We'll, we'll sneak it into the final 15 minutes of maybe next week's podcast if we can get it in after the bracket comes out. Because I love it. I know you love it. I'm sure a lot of our listeners love it. It's just such a great event. And, you know, just it, it's almost like a national holiday. Those first couple of days, the first round on Thursday and Friday, nobody's paying attention at work. Everybody's watching the games, especially as far as like streaming has come over the years. Like I'm not getting a thing done those days because I'm <laughs> obviously going to be watching on multiple screens. Don't don't send this to my employer. I was going to say, hopefully your employer did not hear this uh, this conversation. All right. As for everybody else, please subscribe to this podcast. If you are a new listener, first of all, welcome aboard. And second of all, we ask you kindly to subscribe on any podcast platform that you might choose. In fact, we encourage you to do it more than once. It's very helpful for us to auto-download the podcast. Um, we are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and Google Play and all those podcast platforms. If we're not on a platform that you might enjoy, let us know. We'll get there. And uh, we are 
not just us. This is the sort of flagship show, but we also have interspersed throughout the week other podcasts. We have the Daily Hammer hosted by Sean Coleman. We have the podcast to be named later hosted by Chris Wills and Stephen Tolbert. So we're very busy on this feed. It's only going to get busier. We'll basically be in your ears like five times a week, six times a week coming up pretty soon once game starts. So go ahead and subscribe now, rate and review and all that fun stuff. Scott, where can the folks find you on Twitter and everywhere else? Yeah, on Twitter, Scott Coleman 55. Thank you, everybody, for sticking with us over the winter months. We really do appreciate it. As Brad just said, we'll have a ton of content in the coming weeks, and then the season gets going, and it is never-ending for hopefully seven or eight months from that point on. But uh, lots of good stuff. Check out the site as well, and Brad will be back next weekend. We will follow the show on Twitter as well at Battery Power SBN. Follow Scott, follow me if you want to at BT Roll on Twitter Machine. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all next time. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.